can remain standing as you turn, let's turn our Bibles to the book of Philippians. We're going to read it out together. You can remain standing. Well, meet me in the book of Philippians in your Bibles, chapter 3. The book of Philippians is towards the end of your Bible in what's called the New Testament. There are these little books in there. There are letters, actually, that's written by different people to different people. And Philippians is one of those letters. I believe it's on page 981 in the Bible that's in the chair in front of you. Is that correct for those? Anyone got that? All right. Thank you. And uh, if you don't own a Bible, please take that one home. That's in your hands. That's in the chair in front of you. We'd love for you to have God's word, and we mean that sincerely. God speaks to us every week, doesn't he? Man, it's like every Sunday, even as I'm preparing my lesson, like, Lord, you're cutting me deep. And it seems like he's doing the same for you guys, and we praise him for it. Philippians chapter 3, Philippians written by Paul from prison to a church in the city of Philippi. That's why it's called Philippians. Chapter 3, verse 12 This is what Paul says. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on. Can you say press on? Press on on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on, say it, Toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. This is God's word. You may take a seat, family. I really, really, really love this passage because it likens the Christian faith to a race. And if you guys know me, I love to run. I love running. It's just one of the things that just has given me life throughout the years. I first started running in eighth grade, had a teacher that taught me how to run, ran throughout high school, college, and, and uh, now I run for a hobby. And I just love it. And it just, it drips. Running drips with illustration. And I love the fact that the Apostle Paul would use running illustration to communicate the Christian faith. As one person said, trophies don't go to ones who have a good beginning, right? It goes to the ones who finish strong. In a race, you can't get distracted or get off course. You can't run out of fumes or else you'll stop. You got to finish strong and you got to keep the goal in front of you. This is true of every run. All right, when I go out for a run, I time every single run. I have goals. I'm running against myself. How did I do in the last mile? Pre, you know, how am I doing in this mile? Am I going faster, slower? And I got these goals. And you got to keep the goal in front of you if you are a runner. And this is why I love this story of a guy named Roger Bannister. You see, for many, many, many years, decades, I think even hundreds of years, nobody was able to run one mile under four minutes. And you're like, that's crazy, right? Um, my fastest mile was four minutes and 56 seconds. So, all right, here we go, all right. Uh, Back in the dark ages, man, I haven't scratched that in a long time. Roger Bannister had his goal to run a mile under four minutes. I mean, that's that's like 15 miles per hour. If you you go to a track, four laps around a track is one mile. So if you do the math, that's a minute per lap around a track. Most of us couldn't run two laps in four minutes. That's an eight-minute mile. 
If you're at a 12-minute mile, I mean, just, you, you see where I'm going with this. And so for hundreds of years, nobody got to it. And people were starting to flirt with the four-minute mark, but they were just down like four minutes and six seconds, four minutes and four seconds. Then finally, in the, in the uh, early part of the 1950s, people were at four minutes and two seconds. And there was one guy who ran four minutes and two seconds like six times in a row. And he's like, I just, and they started thinking it was not humanly possible to run faster. They just thought, genetically speaking, we cannot physically achieve that goal. Well, Roger Bannister was one who ran at four minutes and two seconds, and he's like, surely I can shave off two seconds of my time. But he just didn't know how he'd do it. And in 1954, Roger Bannister ran a mile in three minutes and 59 seconds. Crazy. He just set his eye on the goal, not just finishing the race, but finishing it strong. Get this. Since that day, over 1,300 men have ran a mile under four minutes. Unbelievable. It was a barrier that was not just physical, but was also psychological. But when Roger Bannister set his eye on the goal, he was able to achieve a feat no one had done before him, but 1,300 people have done since. Crazy, huh? What initially seemed impossible became possible. And what we understand, though, is Bannister kept his eye on the goal. Few things will ruin a runner like looking backwards. If a runner looks back, that means they're looking at the competitor behind them, and they're going to lose and break their stride. They're forgetting the goal. And so when a Christian life is likened to a race, it is so true of us that many of us, you and me alike, often feel the inclination to look backwards far too often. We, we take our eyes off of the goal that God has placed in front of us. But when we fixate on yesterday, we will fail today and fade away tomorrow. Hear me, that's true. If you fixate on yesterday, you will fail today and fade for tomorrow because you're living in the past. I got some help in this room. You see, sometimes I got people who say, you know, I did my Jesus thing years ago. I used my gifts when I was younger, but now it's time for me to come aside and let the young bucks take over. Show me where that's in the Bible. Because that's a lot of looking back to yesterday. That's fixating on the past. But the question is, what are you doing now? What are you pursuing now? Or sometimes I hear, yeah, I took that Bible class. I learned that lesson. I taught that lesson. I did my praying that day. That was a real sweet time many years ago when I worshiped God or when I read those books of the Bible. But there's a lot of rear view mirror looking when I hear those words. That's in the past. What are you pursuing now? Sometimes it has to do with our failures. Perhaps some of you dads, even on Father's Day, you're like, I have failed. Maybe you moms are feeling it. Husbands or wives. Maybe you're a friend and you feel like, I failed as a friend. I've failed as a Christian. I've let others down. I've let self down. I've let God down, but that is living still in the past. 
where you're pursuing now. See, we got to maintain a sober view of where you are and where you've been, and more importantly, where you're going. Now, hear me now. It's not that we can't learn from the past, all right? All right? I, I love history. I'm a historian. I love history. So we read and study and look at the past to learn from it, but not to live in it, all right? And so often we are living in the past, not learning from it. But when we learn from it, we're learning in order to move forward, not to stay stuck. So we got to keep a sober view. And sometimes, yes, our failures, they sting. Our sin, our hurts, maybe something has been done to us, maybe ways we've been let, and they sting, they're real. They're in the past, but I'm not saying just like they never happen. What I'm saying is you can't stay there. Too many of us say we can't get past the past. But that's just not what we're told to do. We can't get up, get stuck in former times. Because we get stuck in former times with the sight of eternity. And so what we find in today's passage is the call to don't keep looking backwards. Keep your eye on the goal. And so Paul is here writing to the Philippian church in Philippians chapter 3. And he's giving them this charge to press on. And what I love about it is in the previous section that we looked at last week, Paul talks about how his ambition in life is to know Jesus better. He's pressing on toward that goal. And he says he wants to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and share in his sufferings for redemptive value. And he ultimately longs for the day that he will be raised to life and be with Jesus in glory. And he said that's, that's, that's what he is living for. That's what his goal. But in verse 12 of our chapter that we're looking at today, he says to them, not that I've already obtained this. He's telling them, look, I'm not pretending like I've arrived at my goal. I'm just telling you that's where I'm looking toward. He's saying, I'm straining towards what's ahead. I haven't obtained this goal, but I am looking forward to it. I was wondering why he says this. He says, he says not that I've already obtained this or I'm already perfect. Why would he say it's not like I'm perfect or complete? And what he's saying is, look, no matter how mature you think the Apostle Paul is, he's saying, look, I am still in process, all right? And as we look at our lives, we need to maintain a sober view of where we are. And what Paul is saying, the sober view of where you are and where I am, if we're followers of Jesus, is that we're still in process. None of us have arrived. All of us are still growing. We are failing. We're repenting. We're asking God for forgiveness. But we're saying, God, keep restoring me, renewing me, growing me. I'm moving forward. I'm having a sober view of where I'm at. I know for me, sometimes this, this sober view cause, causes me to really long for heaven. Because when you look around, you see a lot of brokenness. Chicago's a tough place to be in. There's just so much brokenness around us. And if you're like me, there's times I just, I just hear of things and it makes me long for heaven. Or when someone in our life, family or friend or someone we know passes away, just, it just makes you long, like just long for heaven. When we hear the proliferation of sex trafficking around the world, victims of abuse, poverty, hunger, it just makes you start longing for heaven. 
This is a sober view of where we're at. But a lot of times we don't even realize, though, that even our own failures ought to cause us to long for heaven. There's times where I just, I may have sinned against God in some way or another. And I was like, God, I'm just tired of, of just battling my flesh. I'm, just, I'm tired of, of being so weak when I feel like I should be strong. It makes me long for heaven. And when Paul's saying, we, we need to have a dose of that, of like, God, I, I just want, I want more of you. I'm longing for heaven. I'm not pretending like I've arrived already. You may be growing in your faith and praise God and keep doing that. Keep pressing on, but never be fooled into thinking you've arrived. See, in Paul's day, there were some who had this idea of a Christian perfectionism where you could be so filled with the Spirit that you no longer sin anymore in this life. Well, that sounds really, really, really good. It doesn't take into account the very fact that we still are waging war against our flesh. The Bible teaches us that. I think Paul's also trying to not only remind people, like, like look, perfectionism, it, it could become a, a superiority kind of thing. We, we, we are striving to be sanctified and honor God with our lives, but, but let, let's, not, let's not be fools here thinking that you've arrived ever. But on the flip side, there's a carelessness sometimes. People are like, well, since I'm never going to arrive, I'm not going to try. They kind of have some Elsa theology. I'm just going to let it go. All right? I'm just going to go on with my life. Man, no one's going to hold me back anymore. I don't care what they're going to say, you know? This is how we live. And that's a, that's a carelessness. And Paul's like, I'm not, I don't want that. Yeah, you have arrived, but that doesn't mean you, don't, you, you stop trying. He says, I'm pressing on. And I think he's also trying to awaken those who are coasting, which I think many of us tend to fall into that category a lot of times in life. Where we just, we know the boundaries that we're not trying to get beyond. We, we've set certain standards, like, God, I'm not going to transgress that boundary. I know that's wrong. I'm not going to do that. I am going to pray. I'm going I'm to come in, in, to a Sunday morning service. I'm going to sing. But we're still just coasting. It's like we put our Christian lives in cruise control and took our hands off the wheel and said, go. And Paul's like, look, you haven't arrived, so don't think you're all that in a bag of Takis. And you're not, you're, and, but don't, on the other hand, give up saying, well, if I didn't arrive, I'm done. And don't coast. Look what he says here. Not that I've already obtained this, this perfect, complete knowledge of who God is and experienced Jesus, but I press on to make it my own. See, this, this tension we walk of, of already being conformed to the image of Jesus, but not yet quite being fully conformed, should cause us to never become complacent, but continue to journey on. It should cause us to not be critical of others as they're in process. And when they fail, it should cause us and force us to depend all the more on Jesus. And I love how Paul says that's what motivates him. He says, I press on in verse 12 to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. He says, just at the very fact that Jesus would go to the cross for me, and take my sin upon his shoulder and exchange, give me his righteousness so I could stand before God in, in right standing. The very fact that Jesus would do that for me just stirs my heart to press on. So we need to maintain a sober view of where we're at so we don't get too comfortable, too prideful, or too negligent. 
And Paul says, while he's pressing on, he says in verse 13, Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. He's like, I'm still growing. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining toward what lies ahead. So once he has this sober view of who he is, that he's not a perfect man, he's like, but I'm, I'm going forward and I'm not looking back. I told you the story of Roger Bannister. What I didn't tell you was that his world record lasted for 46 days. How disappointing is that? This thing, the, the previous record stood for like hundreds of years, and his stood for 46 days. It was beaten by a, an Australian guy named John Landy, who ran the mile in 3 minutes and 58 seconds, just 46 days after his 3.59. So naturally, they wanted to race each other. Later that year, Roger Bannister and John Landy set off to race, and it's known as the Miracle Mile. As it went on, Landy, the Australian guy, he's the kind of runner that likes to go off in the lead right away. He wants to, to kind of almost crush his opponent's uh, self-will by getting such a huge lead. Roger Bannister is the kind of guy to kind of pace himself and speed up that last quarter mile. So as the race started, it, it unfolded just as we expected. Landy came out in a flash and was leading all the way to the last 200 meters, the last half lap of the race. And the crowd was cheering so loud, and you can watch this on YouTube, by the way, because Roger Bannister started putting it into that last gear of his. And you see Landy heading, and you see Roger, Roger Bannister slowly closing the gap. But Landy couldn't tell how far back Bannister was because the crowd was so loud he couldn't hear his footsteps and Landy did the mortal sin of running he glanced to his left while Bannister passed it him on the right he looked ahead and there he was in front of him it was the first race ever where both men finished in less than four minutes but Roger Bannister won the race because Landy took his eye off the goal Jesus says, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. What we learn from this, and what Paul is telling us is this, we learn from the past, but we can't live in it. You can't look back and take your eye off the goal. And Paul says here in verse, four, in verse 13, 13, he says, forgetting, this is one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind. Now for Paul, what lies behind? Previously, he mentioned all of his achievements, his accolades, his accomplishments. It's like Paul's like, yeah, I taught Sunday school back in the day. Yeah, yeah, I was perhaps on the worship team. Paul's like, yeah, I, I served, I did my evangelism. He's like, but I, I'm not hanging my hat on my past achievements. I'm pressing on. I haven't arrived, but I ain't slowing down either. I don't know what you and I are, or you are, tempted to look back on. Maybe as you look back on your past accomplishments, and you're running off the fumes from yesterday in your Christian faith. I know there's been times in my life where that's been the case, where I've studied so hard, and I've learned so much, and then I find myself in a season of coasting, living off of what I studied in the past. And God's like, but, but what you're pursuing now, though? And that's what you're at today. Paul's telling you, forget what lies behind. Not forget what you've learned, 
Don't live there. Maybe when you look back, you're tempted to look at your failures, your shortcomings, your upbringing, the trials you experienced as a child that you feel like still affect you as an adult, the things you set out to accomplish that you feel like you failed at and never came to fruition, the goals you set that are still a memory, and you, you are feeling like you keep looking back because all you feel like is a failure. I don't know what you look back on, but if you're like me, I know you're tempted to do it. And what we're told here is forget what lies behind and strain for what is forward. If you look back for achievements, keep pressing on. If you look back in your failures, keep pressing on with your eyes set on Jesus. I was talking this through with my son, Lucas, because Paul says he's straining forward. And what I had the image was my son doing the monkey bars. And when he would go to Bell Park and he's doing the monkey bars, he's moving nicely. But as he's getting closer to the end, and he's done it a few times, I'm seeing him getting fatigued. And what I love to see is him stretching his, you see his little ribs showing. He's stretching, trying to get to that bar, each one straining. And I asked him, I said, Lucas, when you feel like that, you ever think about going back to where you started from? He says, no, that would take way more energy. I might as well use the energy to finish it. I was like, what? Write that down, write that down. But isn't that true? We, when we live in the past, it's actually more work. Because we're feeling the guilt, we're feeling the shame, we're feeling the pride. We're getting puffed up. And God's like, just pursue me now. Pursue me now. And you stretch from bar to bar, straining for what's ahead. You've seen the runners in the Olympics, when they're running toward the finish line, it's like a, it's a photo finish. You see them stretching their heads to the finish line. Because if they have that photo finish and their nose passes before the other person, they win. And Paul's like, I'm living my life like that. I'm the Apostle Paul. I've achieved these great things. I've planted churches all around the Roman Empire. I'm not sitting, hanging my hat on those things. It's all for Jesus. It's all for his glory. And as long as there's breath in my lungs, I'm straining forward. This is what Paul is saying. Too often we coast, family. Too often we coast. Don't coast. Don't look back. But stretch forward. Notice how Paul says that three times. I press on in verse 12. I strain forward in verse 13. And then in verse 14, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of Christ, of God in Christ Jesus. Paul's like, I, I'm just going ahead. But what, well, here's the question. What's the goal? He's saying he's straining forward. Forward for what? That, that's the question I'm asking. If I'm supposed to finish strong, if I'm going to stretch past that finish line, what's the finish line and what's waiting for me beyond it? Well, Paul has showed us here throughout the book of Philippians, the finish line is your last breath. And that's why he says to live is Christ, but to die is gain. And so my finish line is when I've got nothing left literally in my tank. So when can you let up? When you die. I watched the race online where this 
was a college race, and there was this guy from Oregon University who had a huge lead in the race. And he was coming to the final stretch, and he was so puffed up that he started going to the crowd doing this. Cheer him on. And there was a runner from Washington University. I mean, just chugging, coming along, and sure enough, passed him right at the end. He was looking around. He was distracted. He wasn't pressing on. He wasn't straining forward, and he took his eyes off the goal. And this is what Paul is saying here. The goal is the finish line. You don't let up before you cross it. Even with my kids in baseball, we tell them, run through first base because it's aggravating when they're slowing down in front of it and they get called out. Run through. And Paul is telling us here, you got to finish strong. You don't get a trophy for what you did in your 20s if you're in your 30s. Finish strong. And if you're a teenager, if you're a youth right now, and you're at the beginning of your race, you run it hard for God. And what you grow in your faith in junior high and in high school, God will continue to grow you. So as you're a young woman and a young man, you keep pressing on and straining forward, accomplishing things for God's glory. You're never too young, and you sure are never too old to strain for the finish line. So the finish line is death. What then is the prize? Because he says in verse 14, I press on toward the goal for the prize. And this is what he says the prize is. The upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And so I'm asking, like, well, what kind of prize is that? What what kind of prize is the upward call of God in Christ Jesus? And I think this is what Paul is telling us here. He tells us in the scripture that our relationship with Jesus, if you have put your faith in Jesus, you did so because God called you. Not because you mustered all the goodness in you to, by your own initiative, love God on your own strength. Impossible. Because in our core, we are rebels. But God has called you to himself. And when he called you to himself, he called you to salvation, to put your faith in him. And then he has called you to have fellowship with him. And then the Bible says we are called as saints, which means we are before God, holy ones. And then he's called you to live out this life. And then in Romans 8, we find what the the old Puritan writers called the golden chain. Because in the golden chain it says, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who were called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might, uh, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. And you're like, what does that all mean? What it means is that God calls you and I, when we put our faith in Jesus, to himself. And if he's called you, he will justify you, which means he will declare you right before God. And if he's justified you, then he will glorify you. And your glorification comes on that last day. And so when Paul is saying, what is the prize? The prize is the full realization of my justification and my glorification. He's saying the prize is when I stand in front of God complete right before him in glory. He said there is no greater prize awaiting any other finish line. Man, that's reason to rejoice. 
But this is what happens when we fixate our eyes as if this life is only the race and there's nothing else here. We lose sight of the finish line. And when we lose sight in the, of the finish line, we invest here. We live everything for here. We put our hope here. We do everything for this life, and we almost dread death because we fear the finish line rather than await it. In our culture, in our society, death is so frowned upon, rightfully in some ways, right? We don't want to die. But look how we stretch to keep this life going. We, we try to preserve this life at all costs. And I'm not saying to do anything different. But what I am saying is as we live this life, we must remember there is more. There is more, not less, that awaits us. Too often they tell us, our culture tells us, that those of us who have the hope of heaven are using heaven as a crutch to get past the problems of today. You ever heard that? And what comes of it then is it's assumed the more we have in this life, the less we need heaven. And the less we have in this life, the more you need heaven. Family, we live in an affluent country where we have almost anything we want. Let's not let our wealth and our comfort lead us to think that what awaits us isn't better than what we're living now. So don't pull back from the finish line. You run straight through it. And you know that when you cross that line, you will stand before Jesus complete. Never to sin again. Never to say Maranatha again. Never to say, God, I'm tired of my sin. I'm tired of the brokenness of Chicago. I'm tired of the news headlines. I'm tired of all these things. You'll never say that again when we cross the finish line. God will wipe away every tear from our eye and we'll stand in front of his presence. You know, last Sunday and this Sunday, we've had some just wonderful, wonderful times of worshiping our God. It's been so touched by how sweet it is to sing praises to God. And I was talking to my children this past week uh, last, last week, we, just, we had a moment here. It was sweet. If you weren't here, you missed it. I'm sorry. Um, but we're praying for more of those moments. And we even had some of those moments today. Like, I asked my kids, I said, what was it? And they're like, I don't know, but it was cool. <laughs> I said, there, there are times in our worship, we, we can't contrive. This is something God just chooses by his grace. We set our hearts right, and we say, Lord, do it. Do what you're going to do. And I told my kids that, that God at different times in our life wants to pour out his spirit in special ways where he just senses nearness in ways we didn't maybe the day before. But in those moments, if you're like me, I'm just like, God, don't let it ever go away. It, it, you, you just want it to stay. And um, I was telling my kids, like, heaven is that moment always. I mean, don't, don't you long for that? And so Paul's like, that's the finish line. And the, the God that we worship on this earth, in our broken bodies, in this frailty, is the prize that we'll worship without the brokenness. So what he's telling you and telling me is to let go of the past, your past achievements and accolades, your past failures and struggles. 
maintain a sober view of where you are. You haven't arrived, but that doesn't make you or cause you to just coast, but to press on. Keeping in mind that we fixate on yesterday, we'll fail today and fade tomorrow. But when we focus on tomorrow, we'll live out today for the purpose to which God's called us to. So family, don't look back. If you're going to look back, learn from the back. Learn from the past. Don't live in it. Strain forward. Press on. Because what awaits us at the finish line is far better than what we'll ever experience in this life. And maybe lastly, I'll say this. So long as there's breath in your lungs and God's giving you breath, he's giving you purpose as long as you've got breath and you live out your purpose. Man, there are people around us who don't have this hope. They, they put all their eggs into today and they're living in despair. They're living with, with fear and we have the hope of eternity. So long as you got breath in your lungs, I got breath in my lungs. Let's share this hope of Jesus and cross the finish line together celebrating our God. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you, God, for your Holy Spirit that helps us in our weaknesses. God, we will fail. There'll be times we'll get caught like John Landy looking back. And when we look forward, we realize we've broken our stride. We've fixated in the wrong place. And so, Lord, we confess our failures in doing that, God. We confess our sins. God, forgive us for living in yesterday, for making excuses for why we're not being faithful today, as if we've built up enough equity in your kingdom that we can coast to the finish line. God, forgive us for that mindset. God, forgive us and help us continue to invest and invest and invest all that we are to make your name known, Lord. Father, for my brothers and sisters today who just can't get past the hurts that they've experienced before. And Lord, we don't want to make light of that. God, our hurts are real. And so, Lord, I pray for your healing touch on them, Lord. Whether it's on their mind, you need a healing touch. Whether it's their heart, whether it's their body, whether it's their perspective. God, heal that brother or that sister who's kept living in yesterday. And as a song we sang earlier, Lord, May they have their gaze transfixed on Jesus where all our hope lies. God, may our impulse then, Lord, our response, God, toward this message be, Lord, I'm giving myself to you. Lead me, God. All that I am, God. Use it for your glory. Church family, as we uh, sing this closing song, I just want you to think, even in your seats right now, what kind of excuses do you let prevent you from straining forward and pursuing Jesus? What kind of past circumstances has been so hard for you to get past it? You just take a moment, you're in your seat, and bring it to God. The Lord knows already. He's not going to be surprised at what you tell him. You might be surprised at how he could bring freedom. Let's take a moment and just bring that before the Lord.
Father, I thank you that the finish line is also a starting line. God, I thank you that through Jesus you've given us an identity and a reason to live that we wouldn't know otherwise. God, help us, Lord, to really just live out for you. We want it. I know we want it for those who know Jesus. We just long to live for you, God, to stir us, to be courageous, to let go, and to pursue you. God, I pray for, for those who are here in this room today. And maybe they've, they've let, Lord, past circumstances or they've, they've let things in their life just stop them from coming to you. Maybe they've blamed you, God for what's happened yesterday. But Lord, the one that they've been pushing away is the one that they need the most, and it's you. Father, I pray you would grant the gift of faith to somebody today in this room, Lord. That you would call them to yourself. That they would say, God, I just see that I need you so much. I'm a sinful man, a sinful woman. I, I've tried to get right before you on my own strength, and I failed. And God, I just need you to forgive me. I believe Jesus died for me. I believe that in exchange, you declare me right. I, I, I'm forgiven, and I want to live for you. Lord, for that brother and sister, would you impress that choice upon their heart? Grant them faith, and may they cry out to you today, maybe for the first time. Lord, awaken us. And bring just great, great honor to your name. We love and adore you, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.